I remember in the early days when it was very gloomy and we didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember thinking, we can use this time just to feel bad for ourselves and or we can use this time to our benefit and to come back stronger than ever. And how about really focusing on our culture, understanding that DEI is at the foundation of that culture. This is the time that we have to really listen to understand and to learn about the experience of being on board. Hello and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today features an interview with Bettina Danez, Global Chief Human Resources Officer at Carnival Corporation. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hello and welcome everybody to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. I'm your host, Sultan Seidolf. And having just come back from a vacation, I am very excited to introduce today Bettina Danes, the Global Chief Human Resources Officer of Carnival Corporation. Bettina, thank you so much for joining us today. I am excited to speak to somebody who works at an organization that is powering so much of the world's travel and is one of the largest vacation companies in the world. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing fantastic. And thank you for inviting me to be part of this program. Well, I am super excited to speak with you today, having heard over the last couple of years, many very impressive and exciting things about the work that you guys have done at the Carnival Corporation. I know that you've been recognized as one of the world's top female-friendly organizations. You've had a lot of accolades. But before we get into all of that, I'd love to start with just a, a little bit of context around your role and what that looks like in your organization and the kind of work that you've been doing there. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I came to Carnival Cruise Line back in 2019, June of 2019. So it's going to be about four years. And at the peak, of the company histories in terms of experiencing their best year ever. And I was asked to join the leadership team as the chief human resources officer for Carnival Cruise Line, which is one of the nine brands, the largest brand under Carnival Corporation. So I came in June of 2019 Having worked in many different industries and thinking this will be fun, this will be different. And little did I know how massive this industry is. And so it was quite shocking at first. And there was a period of time where I felt a little irrelevant to the needs of the organization at that time. Then the whole world collapsed. And that insecurity turned into, have no time for this. I need to respond to the needs of the organization. And in HR, we usually say that we like to have a seat at the table. With COVID, March of 2020, HR became the table. And everything centered around people from our repatriation efforts to having to change the entire model for what we thought it would be a temporary thing to something that lasted 22 months. Late last year, I was asked to step in into the global role at the corporation. 
overseeing all nine brands. So I have a dotted line into each of the cruise lines all over the world. And I also lead the HR share services for the corporation, working in line as well with Carnival Cruise Line, which we share the same headquarters. So a lot of our people in HR are share. And here I am. I love the way you frame that, that HR became the table. And I think it's fair to say for many organizations, it still is the table. And it's, it sounds like you've had to navigate a lot of surprises from the joining of an organization that was so complex to also operating in an organization that was probably one of the most impacted by what happened when COVID hit. And throughout that, I get the sense that you have been able as an organization to lead the industry in, in a lot of areas, particularly when it comes to diversity, inclusion, workplace culture. That must be a very rewarding experience to turn something so challenging into uh, so many positive outcomes and also for yourself to, to come out of that experience as the global CHRO. What have been some of the most rewarding milestones in that journey? Yeah, that's an excellent question because I remember in the early days when it was very gloomy and we didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember thinking with some of the leaders at Carnival Cruise Line and I said, we can use this time just to feel bad for ourselves and or we can use this time to our benefit and to come back stronger than ever. And how about really focusing on our culture, understanding that DEI is at the foundation of that culture. This is the time that we have to really listen to understand and to learn about the experience of being on board. And we went on that journey and we spent hundreds of hours, literally, talking to every leader on board, every captain, every chief engineer, every hotel director every HR director. And we wanted to understand how we could really build Carnival as the employer of choice. And that's when we really started our journey with purpose. One of the things that we did, we decided to use one of the ships that was, that the home port was here in Miami. And we created an initiative that we called it Better Together. And we framed it in such a way that we brought individuals from underrepresented groups forming a real diverse team and in policies and procedures and really building an environment where people not only felt accepted, but they celebrated their differences and they learned how to function and how to perform better. And so there was a lot of focus that we really invested in our people. That is a, an impressive achievement, especially being one of the world's largest travel operators, becoming one of the first, becoming the first cruise line to be back in operations. But it's also, from what you're describing, an experience that I imagine has created a certain type of culture of continuous listening and learning. When you talk about that early stage of spending hundreds of hours of speaking to every captain, every chief engineer, every HR director, what were some of the insights that came out then? Were there any surprises? And how many of those things are ongoing learnings that carry through today? We learned so much. And sometimes we were in headquarters where the leaders trusted with making some of the most impactful decisions for our fleet. But we're not there in the day-to-day -day 
living their experience, walking on their shoes. And there were certain things that I was really surprised because things that you take for granted and you realize, okay, this has been going on for a long time. And how is it that nobody even thought about it? And I'll give you an example. Something simple was, I was talking to a few female officers and I was talking to one that a safety officer that works on the deck. She has to be on the deck for hours and hours. They wear white pants. That's the uniform. It's been for 50 years. And she said to me, at that time of the month, it can get really tricky. And it's gotten to the point where I, I feel this tremendous anxiety and knowing that I cannot move from where I am and I'm wearing these white pants. And I thought, oh my God, that's such an easy thing to fix. We should have navy blue pants. And we embarked and now our uniforms are blue, navy, blue pants for everybody. And so there were the simple things that we could immediately have a, an impact. And there were the other things that there's going to take a lot more effort. But when you are truly invested and you're intentional about creating a culture of trust where people feel safe about sharing even the most intimate of situations that you have, I think that's why we have been able to bring the change and transform the organization in a way that people feel safe and they know that we welcome their opinions and feedback. That's such a powerful example of the importance of, as you say, trust and psychological safety, but also the importance of going beyond just looking at data and metrics and going deep into listening and learning. That takes us nicely to our next segment, The Journey. Obviously, you have gone through a lot in the last couple of years, both in this role and as an organization. When you think about measuring your success, there's clearly been a lot of outcomes you've achieved for the organization in terms of inclusion, safety, and outcomes. And you touched on your ability to attract and retain talent, even by virtue of having created the type of return to work and, and outcomes for the business that meant you were the first cruise line back in operation. How has the way that you track success evolved over the last couple of years? And what does that look like for the years ahead? They say that that doesn't get measured, doesn't get done. And I especially think that in the DEI space, it's this continuous argument about the business case. And the only way you can really make a business case that is objective is when it can be measured. So we have included new ways to understand people insights and people analytics. One of the things that we have done now collectively within all the nine brands and the corporation is a culture survey that we do twice a year. We ask 18 questions, three for each of our culture essentials, which are the ways in which we behave. So it's all about behaviors. I'll give you an example of one of our culture essentials is listen and learn which is goes back to the initial experience. So from these surveys, we obtain net 
promote scores that we can benchmark not just against ourselves, but also against the industry. And we have a lot of data in order to support the way we go about measuring this. And we've been doing this for a long time in connection to our financial performance, our guest experience. But this is the first time that we're really focusing on culture as a key indicator. And I'll tell you that from our CEO to the board to everyone in, the, in a leadership capacity, this has become embedded into everything that we do. And it's become part of our strategy as well. I imagine some of the findings that you will continuing to have will be generating insights that may change expectations of what's working and what's not working. I'd be surprised if there haven't been things where you've run into frictions about bringing about change or responding to some of the insights. What have been some of the tougher things that you've run into in terms of the findings you've had from these programs and these surveys and, and trying to then bring about change to address those? One of the things that we understood that we needed to address immediately was how we attract and how we recruit talent, especially shipboard talent. And in this industry, in this company in particular, it's been very intentional about hiring for a spe from a specific region in the world. And depending on where you come from is the type of job that you have on board. And I really wanted to disrupt that. That was one of the things that early on, even before COVID, I just didn't understand. And I said, we live in a global economy. And if you look at the history of maritime, there was a once upon a time, there were a lot of Koreans in the industry. That's no longer the case. Now, a lot of our crew members, they come, I think it's 40%, they come from, the, from India, the Philippines, and Indonesia. And there was a lot of questioning from leadership about feasible this new concept was in, in really diversifying our crew and allowing for crew, regardless of where they come from, to achieve different roles. Not just because you're from this nation, you should work in this department. How do we open it up? And another gift that COVID gave us was that if you remember early on, one of the countries that it was initially the most impacted was Italy. And that's where most of our deck and tech comes from. In fact, over 90% of all of our captains are Italian. So now we found ourselves in such a challenging time that we may run out of crew to man our ships. And I remember telling the powers to be the leadership, if we were more diverse in terms of nationality, we wouldn't be so dependent on one country for this type of recruitment. And it takes time and it takes special focus to get us there and we're not going to change overnight. You also have to deal with the current talent pipeline to make it as a captain. It might take somebody 25 to 30 years in their career. So you can imagine we're not just looking for the first female captain. We always strive to hire the best captains to promote the best captain. And I look forward to that day where when the best captain is a female. And she gets the job not because she's a woman, but because she's the best at what she does. She's taking a lot of unconscious bias training to bring everyone along because you can't just do this from the comfort of our offices. You got to really build the understanding within the people that are currently on this job so they become 
sponsors and coaches and mentors to the next generation. And one thing that I always struggle, I'm a woman, I'm Hispanic, I'm an immigrant, and I always had to really struggle and sacrifice and to get to where I am today. And there are other women like me that believe that should be part of the journey, that everybody needs to struggle, that only, you know, the survival of the fittest. And I have taken it as my mission. That's not right. My job is to make it easier for the next generation. And women shouldn't, and I'm talking about women in this example, women shouldn't have to sacrifice their families or shouldn't have to not be present in the life of their children and shouldn't have to work harder than anybody else. And now that I am in a position where I can influence the future of many, I've taken it upon myself. And I see that there are many that support this. So it's not just me, to be clear. But we deal with a lot of resistance. And sometimes the resistance doesn't come from the opposition that are different. It happens from within. And that's the hardest one sometimes to manage through. You've given several very powerful examples there. And for your context, this theme that you're talking about, which includes the concept that talent is equally and evenly distributed around the world, but opportunities are not. It's actually why we started Beamery, why we started the company. I'm a first-generation immigrant, but my parents were scientists in the former Soviet Union. And when the Soviet Union collapsed, the role of being a scientist collapsed. And so they had to restart their lives. There's obviously patterns of how folks from certain countries or cultures end up in certain roles they can perpetuate. But breaking those patterns goes deeper than just expanding opportunities for new people. It creates the potential for people to consider being able to do roles that they otherwise wouldn't have considered. Not just whether you can be a captain as a woman, but whether you could move from a role which has never progressed to being a captain, but having that opportunity. Have you seen a different approach to how people look at internal mobility or how people are seeking opportunities? What, what have been some of the, the externalities of this shift towards being more inclusive when it comes to backgrounds and roles? Yes, so we definitely had to look into how we promote. And one of the things that I learned when I first joined Carnival Cruise Line is that we did have a promotion criteria but it wasn't as transparent as it needed to be for crew members to understand exactly what they needed to do and to accomplish in order to excel and take progressively more responsibility and to grow in their roles or to transfer to different roles. I spoke about how we have embedded DEI and culture into the employee life cycle and promotions and how we handle them has been integral to this effort. And we decided to invest in technology. So now all of our crew members have an app that can attract all of their experience, their training, all the things that they need to do in order to grow and advance. So it's not just enough to hire diversity. But you really have to make an investment and it has to be quite intentional and real and accessible. And the only way that you get people to really believe and embrace it is that they can experience it themselves. 
And we have been very traditional up until now. In the last year and a half, I I actually have been to the Philippines and we created a partnership with their STI, which is their largest university program. It's a four-year university program. And we, through this partnership, were contributing into their hotel management degree. And they're including cruise industry-related curriculum. So people don't have to start at the bottom. So we can now have people from the Philippines that are not just going to work in housekeeping. They can take on management roles. They can move into different roles. I talked about how we used to hire from Italy for deck and tech. So we did a similar partnership with the Philippine Maritime Academy, which is the oldest academy in the world. And we were able to hire five female cadets from this program. And not only Filipino cadets, but also female cadets. And really doing things outside of the box and working through these partnerships to allow for these opportunities to occur. And guess what? We hire these female cadets. We have other Filipinos that are in housekeeping or culinary, and they see this and they get inspired. Oh, wow. There's people from the Philippines doing these jobs that we thought that were not accessible to anybody else. And we're doing the same in India and Latin America. This is something that we're very excited. I was just talking to somebody today that is doing a similar partnership in Jamaica. And this is how we transform the organization and how we get crew members to really believe that this is not just a check the box saying the right things to get people excited and motivated. It's not. This is real. And they get to see it. Well, it sounds like you've created an incredibly powerful flywheel for talent attraction through the type of evidence that you are creating of folks actually making these realities possible. I imagine that this is having ripple effects across the industry too. When it comes to this question of kind of success breeding success, What have been some of the most powerful internal stories that are helping shape not just what you're doing internally, but how the industry is approaching opportunity and training and some of the things that you've described? It's reflected in the success of the business. Thinking about Carnival Cruise Line, the first cruise line in the world to be fully back in operations, their capacity, they're close to 100%. We're back to 2019 numbers, if not better. It's changing the whole outlook. Our ENPS, our net promoter scores, our retention numbers continue to be strong. And still in a industry that is volatile, And you mentioned at the beginning, there is no other industry that has been as negatively impacted as cruise industry. There hasn't been. And for a long period of time, especially when we first went back into operations, we had to deal with all these protocols and quarantines and our crew had to wear masks at a time where nobody else was wearing masks. Even the airlines weren't wearing masks. I think it speaks for itself and we have gained the trust of our crew. They know that they can reach out to us, that we're listening, that we're invested in their experience. 
and were willing to walk the mile with them to bring them a better future. The example of navigating the pandemic that you're coming back to there and how you've obviously emerged with so much strength, taking it from a more personal lens, you said at the beginning how you went from a position of joining one line of operations within Carnival and having obviously a transition within your role. This would have been a very intense and transformative time for everybody around the world, but particularly for an organization like Carnival and particularly in a role like yours. Can you speak a little bit about the personal journey you went through over those two years in particular? What were some of the experiences that shaped you as your position evolved? I'm hopelessly optimistic. And I mentioned that at the beginning, I went through a period where I wasn't convinced, am I the right person to come in here? They're so successful. They've been really killing it for 50 years. What am I going to be able to do? And I worked in other very different, unique industries. I worked in baseball and I didn't know anything about baseball. And I remember that once I go through that onboarding phase and the learning curve eventually makes sense. This whole thing that unveil in early 2020 with COVID and having to really re-engineer whole approach to talent and being in a journey where I had a department and I have a group of people that stood by me for the duration. At a time where attrition, we went, I don't know if in Europe you experienced the great resignation that we experienced here in the U.S. We didn't lose not one person in our department, not one. And the overall attrition of the organization was still healthy. So we did not really experience some of the challenges still being in the cruise industry with all the craziness that we went through. So I think personally, it not only gave me the belief and what I could do and what I could contribute to the organization, the reward by the trust provided by the teams and the leadership and the person who offered me the job and Christine Duffy, who is a remarkable individual and saw something in me that I questioned at some point. And in the manner of which we treated everyone with the utmost care, we waited the longest to start doing layoffs at a time where our competitors had started doing layoffs months before we did. And even when we did furloughs, we maintain everyone's benefits, their healthcare benefits, especially really unheard of. And the fact that of everyone that we furlough, we were able to bring 97% of them. That's insane. You would have thought by then people would have taken other jobs, moved on. And we even rehire people that were laid off. And I remember having to do a few laid offs myself. And I thought, and this this was something that kept me going for a long time. I said, one day I'm going to be able to call these people and offer them a job back. And going through that experience, talking about feeling that reward, it's just, it's been phenomenal. The consideration of the fact that the crew is, in fact, on a ship and not only working together, but living together poses some unique components to the story you've described of 
having to navigate the craziness of the last couple of years. We've talked a lot about how far you've come in terms of diversity and obviously the recognition you've had as one of the world's top female-friendly companies. But on the component of becoming one of the recognized best employers, I get the sense that you would have also been tackling some other themes of employee needs and anxieties. How did that side that is so unique to a business like yours of challenges of suddenly being cut from work and folks who've been used to living together, not having access to each other, how did that unfold and what were some of the unique components of navigating two or three years of of those unique stresses? It's been a core element of our focus, really investing in the employee wellness and the mental wellness of our crew, especially, but also short side for the people that work in the office. I will tell you that when we were going through the repatriation process, thinking about repatriating 40,000 crew members, taking them back to their homes, and many countries did not want their citizens. Having to navigate those challenges and understanding right away, we really need to make sure that we offer all the resources that are necessary for our employees and our crew members to stay healthy and mental health. And I remember that from designing activities, karaoke on the ship, this is all when we were still on the pause. The food, food is so important to people. And, and really we, we brought in coaches. We partner with a few different organizations that focus on, on employee wellness and mental health and emotional support. We had to deal with many difficult situations. We recognize the signs. We train our leaders to understand how to identify signs. One of the things that even came out of this whole virtual environment that we're in, we started understanding that when people were off the camera, sometimes it was an indication that something was up. And and this actually happened with a shoreside employee. And we asked the employee to turn on the camera because it was kind of awkward because it was a small group. And then we were able to identify that there was a situation of possible domestic abuse with this individual. And it was because of that care that came out of why isn't this person turning on the camera? And we were able to identify that as one of the things that we should be paying more attention. And we're training our managers to look at those things. I just put a presentation on employee wellness. I got a lot of resources from our healthcare providers with tangible programs that our employees and their families can benefit from. This obviously is paramount to the employee experience, especially when you're living together. It's not a phenomenon that you have when people don't live together, but still a priority. And I think more than ever is an area that employers need to focus as much as they do in other areas. It sounds, again, as we touched on earlier, that some of the things that we've been forced to do through the last couple of years in terms of really leaning into understanding employee wellness and employee needs is going to serve an organization like yours so well longer term. As you look forward, clearly there's been so much success, but also so many foundational things. Some of the transformation you mentioned in terms of inclusion and training You're still at the very beginning of that journey in the longer run of what that can look like over the next decade. And you mentioned some investments in technologies and employees starting to look at internal development, connection and peer discussions. When you look forward into the future, 
How do you think about the most important facets of your strategy over the next five years? What do you really hope to achieve? And what are some of the milestones you want to hit? And what do you think are some of the biggest changes that will happen within the next five years, not just for you personally and for your organization, but within the people industry and how we approach these problems? That's a very good question. And it's something that I think about a whole lot. I'm always thinking through what problem am I trying to solve? Or what is the end game? What is it that will really state we arrive? This is where we need to be. And from a DEI and culture point of view, my goal and the goal of our leadership today is that it becomes organic, that we don't constantly have to remind ourselves to look through that lens, that it's, it's as important as everything else that we do. This is how we hire. This is how we promote. This is how we really build the talent that we need for to and into the future. And I think we're a long way from there. I don't think there is a company out there that is organic and things are happening. But when I get the questions from people that didn't even want to talk about it, and now they're being thoughtful about it and they're feeling comfortable about asking, or even better when they come back and they say, I just, I thought all of this was a bluff just an attempt for the organization to hire cheaper labor. That's what I heard. And now I see it and I understand how it works and I understand how it can benefit not only the organization, but it can benefit all of us. And there are a lot of companies out there that they do investments. They Maybe they hire a chief diversity officer and they do all this strategy. And I'm not saying that's not the way to go. I was asked the question one time and I said, we all in this together. This cannot be HR's responsibility. Just because I'm a big champion and I'm passionate about it doesn't make it my responsibility. I'll help all of you to be in this journey together, but it's all of us in all that we do. And we are the ones that are going to set up the example for everyone to lead. And when they see us being part of this journey, people are going to come together and they're going to want to be part of it. It's something that it's always going to be present. It's always going to be at the foundation of who we are. And in the DEI space, we always often talk about the fabric of our DNA, and that's where I am hoping to see Carnival. This becomes the fabric of who we are. I share your optimism and I'm excited to see more organizations take on that fabric of our DNA approach to the themes of diversity, mobility, inclusion, and the psychological safety and wellness areas that you've been so deeply invested in. Thanks for sharing the, the incredible and powerful stories, Bettina. It's been such a pleasure hosting you. Bye. Thank you. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at beamery.com.